the Great British Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by MTD, MFD and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. What a week in the world of UK manufacturing it has been and we cannot wait to share some of these positive stories from the world of UK manufacturing. Coming up in this week's show, we will be discussing news from the likes of JCB, Molson Coors and yes, that one billion investment from Nissan. We'll also be welcoming a special guest, William Santos, International Sales Manager at Barnsley-based ABI Electronics. But first, we've got two new members we'd like to introduce to you on the Factory Now platform. New members are joining the Factory Now platform every week, which has been launched to help British manufacturers boost sales, collaborate and reshore. New members this week include Warwickshire-based Sick Marking, a supplier of marking and automation identification solutions for tracing industrial components and also Visual Components, a world-leading supplier of 3D manufacturing simulation software. Please contact us to discuss joining the platform. My name is Joe Reynolds, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Stuart Whitehead. We're going to get straight on with the show, and there's only one place to start. Nissan Gigafactory, Stuart. Tell us some more. Yeah, incredible news, Joe. And um, Nissan has announced a major expansion of electric vehicle production in its car plant in Sunderland, which will create 1,650 direct jobs. Japanese car maker says it will build its new generation all-electric model in the Northeast also, with its partner Envision building a new gigafactory. The new electric vehicle hub launched with £1 billion worth of investment will also support thousands of jobs in the UK supply chain. And of that £1 billion, Nissan said it would invest up to £423 million to produce the new model, building on the success of its existing electric car, the Leaf. It's, you know, we could talk about this all day, Stuart, couldn't we? we obviously, this this news, it's not it's not news to anyone in the know. This, this has been rumoured for a number of weeks now, but sometimes you do wonder, is it going to happen? You know, are the government going to help? Are, they gonna, are we going to able to get this done, get this deal done? And it, and it looks like it's been done. It's official. Absolutely. Um, we reported a few weeks ago that the UK government is in consultation or in advanced talks with maybe five or six manufacturers, and this is the first one that's been announced. We've obviously had British Volt on in a, in a previous podcast, and hopefully that's going to happen in, in Northumberland as well. So I, I think this is absolutely key. The, the first one has been announced. It's official. It's going to happen. We know that we need more uh, more than one across the UK, so hopefully this is the first of, of many. Uh, more good news, JCB, they've been on a recruitment drive all this year, pretty much, and, and it, it hasn't stopped yet. Absolutely. They started a fresh recruitment drive for 500 new agency workers. This demand for its machinery continues to soar. The British manufacturer is taking on additional agency employees at 11 plants across Staffordshire, Derbyshire and Wrexham, and is also offering, which is really good, 300 existing agency workers, permanent JCB contracts, a great job security for them. And these new jobs, as you allude to, are on top of the 850 shop floor jobs already created so far this year, and will bring the total number of agency shop floor employees given permanent jobs this year to, to over 1,000. And this move follows record demand for JCB's machinery across the world, with most new machines already sold out until next year. Yeah, it's it just a massive success story, JCB. It certainly this last 18 months, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, let's face it, they're doing a fantastic job here. Um, next one, Molson Calls, they've announced £25 million investment at its uh, brewery. Absolutely, more inward investment at Chicago headquarters. Manufacturers are investing £25 million at the brewery that includes upgrades to its beer and cider packaging facilities and a new hard seltzer canning line. 
the investment in the new production line follows its success to the category in, in the US, which saw retail sales of nearly $3 billion in the 12 months of June. I mean, the firm is ready to meet the expected growth in demand for hard seltzers in the UK and Western Europe. And this investment just comes after Molson Coors launched a £5 million multimedia market campaign earlier this, well, last month now, to support the launch of Threefold, the biggest brand investment the company's ever made into a new category. So they are taking it seriously, and the UK manufacturing sector is benefiting from it. Yeah, more investment here, like, like you say, in UK manufacturing can't be bad. We'll now take a break from this week's news, and there's plenty more come up later in the show. But for now, let's introduce this week's guest, William Santos, International Sales Manager for ABI Electronics. William, very warm welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Joe. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. You're more than welcome. And before we start, thanks for everything you do for our channel and promoting us and UK manufacturing as a whole. We uh, we all appreciate it. But um, if, if we can just start a bit about you, your career to date, your roles and your responsibilities at ABI. Brilliant. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Well, um, I'm the head of uh, sales and marketing here at ABI Electronics in Barnsley. Um, I started my career when I was 19, 20 years ago in my native Brazil, where I you know, come from originally. And um, I started as an apprentice. You know, I was doing my um, um, H&D in electronics. Then I was given the opportunity to uh, join this um, um, hand tools manufacturing company. It was an American multinational company. And um, they also produced some uh, electronic equipment for reworking and soldering stations and so on. And after a couple of years, I um, joined one of their distributors in, in Sao Paulo. And that company actually happened to be one of ABI's distributors. And after spending five years as being the sales manager in that um, uh, organization, I met the you know the ABI uh, managing director, who invited me to uh, to come over to uh, Sunny Barnsley, and, mm-hmm. and and here I am. You know, I've been living in uh, in Yorkshire since. You know, got a family and you know six years old um, son as well. And um, so I've been with the company for the last uh, fourteen years, and uh, I head up the uh, the sales, the marketing, social media teams as well and um, yeah being very very busy we just finished our financial year uh, last night you know so FY21 is, is is behind us and it was a fantastic year and uh, as you guys can see you know on the, our Twitter timeline and uh, LinkedIn as well and um, we're very happy with the results I don't have the final figure but we're talking about probably around 23 um, percent uh, growth which is which is good we're very happy. Yeah, sounds like it. What a fascinating story. And just secondly, many people will know of ABI Electronics, but maybe you can start with the basics, who you are, maybe the size of your company, your product range, and yeah, just some of your history. Absolutely. ABI started in 1983, and um, uh, we are a family-run business, and uh, um, the engineer that started the company, he basically, he first developed, well, he developed the world's first low-cost uh chip tester, you know, we're going to potentially touch on uh, the chip shortage situation, um, uh, you know, later on. But um, so he basically developed a system that could test chips, could test could test uh, electronic components, which were fairly expensive at the time, you know, uh, and uh, the product became a massive success here in the UK and abroad and the company evolved from there. So, um, you know, Moving forward to, um, uh, fast forwarding to um, uh, 2021, uh, our product range is basically um, um, divided between systems that are used in the fault analysis, 
fault finding, troubleshooting electronic, industrial electronic circuit boards, and uh, reverse engineering systems as well. We have uh, products for counterfeit IC detection. So we have a range of solutions that are used by companies all over the world. Um, we are cross-sector companies, so we cover over 20 different sectors of the industry, from manufacturing through to uh, aerospace and, and um, uh, renewable energy and, 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 and so on, defense, rail transport, and so on. Morning, William. Thanks for joining us. Almost on a daily basis, you're talking about export wins. It's, it's fantastic to follow you on, on Twitter and LinkedIn to hear about your successes. Would you mind just explaining your export strategy? You're obviously doing something right that possibly and potentially other SMEs could, could learn from. That's a very good question, Stuart. Thanks for that. Um, well, when I joined the company, my, my mission was basically to start our Brexit. Okay, so, um, and what I mean by that is moving on from depending on just a handful, um, you know, countries, number of markets, and really expanding and taking the company globally. And, and that's what we, we, we did, you know, in starting in 2007, we started finding, you know, partners in other countries in key targeted sectors. So, um, obviously, coming from, from um, uh, Latin America, my initial focus was developing partnerships in uh, Colombia, in Mexico, in you know Peru, and uh, obviously strengthening our position in Brazil. And that was a great success. And then we went to Asia, so Korea, Japan, Malaysia, and Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia. That worked really well. And we then we went to uh, the US and so on. So, uh, so we've been, that's what we've been doing. So we've been uh, um, adding countries and, 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 you know, really developing partnerships with technical organizations that can uh, represent us, they can, you know, develop the market, they can provide training, demonstration and technical support in country for our customers. And that was a great success. So the vast majority of our business comes from our distributors comes through the relationship that we have. We work hand in hand with them, you know, sharing best practices and so on. So I think that is um, um, a good proportion, let's say a good, um, um, the reason why we've been so successful internationally. We started early, let's say, you know, nearly 15 years ago. Um, but the other thing is, is obviously the use of social media, is how we use social media to communicate with the market. Um, I, I was reading um, a report from a leading marketing organization here in the UK. And throughout the pandemic, I think most, um, well, they basically claimed that uh, UK manufacturers reduced their um, marketing budget by over 50% on average throughout the pandemic. We did exactly the opposite. We invested more and more in marketing and advertising and creating content for social media okay um so you know we 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 worked as a team here to produce something that we call abi labs which is a video series available on youtube it's about 30 videos produced in house you know with you know a couple of our engineers young engineers you know fresh looking looking fresh in front of the camera and demonstrating the uh, ins and outs of our systems and the value that our technology adds to companies all over the world that was a great success and the constant communication with our you know with our customers through um, um, social media I think that uh, that would be a, a part B of my answer long answer I'm sorry
<laughs> no, no, it's all no, it's a fascinating answer, and uh, I think it gives a good insight into in terms of what's worked for you and what potentially could work for others. Um, in terms of external support, in your opinion, how much support is there, both regionally or nationally, from local agencies, government agencies, and so on and so forth? Well, for us, it it is uh, is crucial to have the ability to. Um, tell our customers in India, for instance, that they're going to have local support. Uh, it is, uh, um, um, you know, the business wouldn't exist if we didn't have um, a, a partner there that would not only be able to um, support the customer, specifying the right equipment, the right configuration for their um, application, but also, you know, holding their hand throughout the implementation of our systems and, you know, obviously supporting them with training as well. A lot of our business is actually based on repeat business. So about, I don't know, 30 to 40% a year is basically companies reinvesting in our systems. And they do because they love our support and, and the support is provided by, you know, ABI as well as our partners globally. So that support is, is, is crucial, really. And um, and obviously, you know, as, as I mentioned before, mo- most of our orders come through uh, the work that they they do. And uh, even when we we are asked whether we, we would supply direct to the organization, you know, in, I don't know, it could be in Europe, could be in America, we always try to uh, channel that sale through uh, the distributor. Makes perfect sense. So if a manufacturer has neither exported beyond the EU, um, looking to going to the Far East or South America, as you've successfully done over the years. What kind of advice would you give them in terms of building local relationships or local or government agencies, perhaps, that they, they could um, partner with? Is there any, anything, any hints and tips that you can share? Well, um, the, the first, I think the golden rule is you need to have a long-term strategy, right? So, so you can simply... Um, go to a place like Brazil and expect to start creating revenue in, in three, six months time. It, ta- it takes time to build a brand, build a reputation. And in most countries, what we've realized is that um, if, if the customers are not, um, you know, completely satisfied by, and, and, and if they don't feel safe in the knowledge that you're going to be there to uh, help them and support them in the long term, they're not going to buy your product. So I think, uh, you know, having that long-term strategy, then eventually building relationships with local companies, local organizations that know the market, they know the legislation, they can handle customs, they can, you know, obviously provide all the uh, support as well, logistic support and so on. If something goes wrong, you know, our products, you know, hardly ever uh, go wrong. But if something goes wrong, you know, uh, some of our customers are, you know, Lego Mexico. So they expect, obviously, to be capable of uh, having that problem resolved in, you know, in a matter of uh, hours, not days or weeks. So, um, so you really need to have like an, we need to have a network of um, um, agents and, and, and people on the ground supporting the growth of that brand, the growth of the business. And you know, I, I would definitely recommend people to um, you know 
go check out um, uh, the Department for International Trade, you know, DIT. Uh, we've had, you know, we've been having, a, 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 you know, years of successful relationship with DIT, um, by where where they have the uh, in-country teams supporting opening doors for um, for ABI and uh, for other British business, obviously. That's their mission. Sound advice. Thanks very much for that, William. Final question for me. You quite often reference the repair not waste movement on your social media posts. So for people less familiar with it, what is it, the background, and what are the aspirations of that movement? Well, the repair don't waste movement uh, was started by ABI in 2015. Okay. And it basically, uh, our, our uh, goal there was to uh, sort of, um, you know, open the eyes of you know, organizations, big and small, to the benefits of extending the life of their critical electronic systems, okay? Instead of simply throwing a printed circuit board away just because, you know, a very tiny and very inexpensive part in that circuit board has gone faulty, either because of age or use or, or something wrong happened. So the, the, the gains in terms of the financial gains are, are, are huge, um, repairing um, an electronic circuit board in general, you're talking about slashing the cost by 90%. Emissions are slashed by 85%. So when you compare sourcing uh, a brand new circuit board compared to uh, repairing it in-house. So we we really started you know, championing this, this cause and, and really trying to uh, create awareness to the benefits of developing skills, in-house skills for testing, for troubleshooting, the electronic circuit boards found in the manufacturing line, for instance. So across, you know, robotic systems and, and you know, logist logistic systems and, and all sorts of uh, different machineries, you can have, you know, obviously electronics drives everything these days from uh, textile uh, uh, machinery all the way to, uh, obviously, avionics and radar communication systems. Now, the electronic, those electronic circuit boards, they were designed to last many years. They may eventually break down after two, three years, but, you know, you don't throw away a car just because, you know, the, the, uh, there, there's been, a, there's been a, a, a fault that can be corrected. So the same thing applies to... Um, you know, electronic circuit board. So, so it's been a it's been a great, nice, you know, journey. Uh, we've had uh, you know tremendous success. Um, I think the uh, the message has really um, been um, uh, well accepted by uh, big organizations. So, over the last few years, we you know we had uh, you know I mentioned Lego, Samsung, and G Renewable, Lockheed Martin, Honeywell. So many you know companies, blue chip companies, joining the club let's say, and really investing in our systems and saying, right, enough is enough. We're not going to be throwing away electronic circuit boards any, anymore. We're going to be trying to, as much as possible, to uh, keep them going for as long as possible. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, the, the more that you can do, the better, really. Absolutely. Um, just moving on from that, you've talked about semiconductors, circuit boards. What do you know about the, the shortage at the moment, the global supply chain issues with semiconductors? Um, is, is that something that's likely to be resolved anytime soon? Well, that's a very interesting question, Joe, because, um, you know, the research that we have been looking into seems to point to at least 18 months before the, uh, the crisis is resolved. And uh, obviously, we, we require semiconductors to uh, make our products. You know, our products are 
electronic test system. So, so obviously we we need components, and these components come from all over the world. And over the last probably six months, it's been it's been um, uh, an interesting task, especially for our buyers to um, get all those components in. Um, and what we're hearing is is you know the, the lead time being quoted by some of our suppliers has gone from three weeks to fourteen weeks sometimes. And in and, and in some cases, we're talking you know twelve months down the line before we can actually get more parts. Now here at ABI. We were preparing for Brexit, you know, since 2017. We invested a lot in stock, so we still have a lot of components. And then obviously last year we managed to, uh, you know, sort of um, reinforce our bases and, and um, strengthen our, our, our position as far as inventory is concern.d but we, we, we're seeing a lot of organizations basically realizing now that they can't get those parts to make cars and make you know uh, electronic components or make you know industrial uh, uh, machinery as well. Uh, and that is um, that's something that we, we are facing ourselves. Um, uh, obviously, there's a reason for that. You know, we we, we could see uh, during the, throughout the pandemic, you know, company or people actually, you know, spending a lot more time at home, so investing new laptops and mobile phones and gadgets and connected gadgets, and that basically increased the demand for those type of components. Now, those type of components are not the same. To the ones that you would find in a car, you would find in an airplane, or find in a industrial machinery. The industry had to uh, shift the uh, production to uh, cater for that demand for consumer electronics, and now, or ever since the uh, the rest of the manufacturing industry has come back online, we are actually struggling to get our parts because because of that shift, because of that shift in direction. So it might it's going to take probably you know at least twelve months, I think twelve to eighteen months, for the market to uh, find that balance, which I think is even more reason for companies to uh, start repairing more, start investing in testing and trying to resolve the issues and repairing. Mm -hmm. So we have a you have a circuit board sometimes used in a production you know, plant equipment, you have over 500 components in that board just because, you know, the uh, pound worth or penny worth uh, parts has gone faulty uh, and you don't know. You, you're throwing away 500 components, you know, in just in, in one go that, you know, a lot of uh, obviously natural resources go into uh, making every printed circuit board. So I think by uh, investing in testing, developing, you know, a better obsolescence management, uh, more modern obsolescence management policy. I think it is it is fundamental in, in this day and age. I couldn't agree more of everything you've just said, but we're going through the, the, what we call the, the gigafactory, gigaplant revolution at the moment. Clearly, car batteries are very, very high value. That's why we're seeing it. Uh, and obviously, the legislation changes, things like that. But do you, do you see a time where we're going to see semiconductor factories popping up everywhere, maybe here in the UK, certainly more across Europe as well? I'm trying to find a car. You, you, you can't get cars at the moment. And you, you can't sell a 30,000, 40,000 pound car because of a, you know, a two pound semiconductor. Doesn't seem right, does it? You're absolutely right, and I really hope that this is uh, what happens. I think I think the government government should really get behind this idea, uh, Joe. Uh, the same way that we're seeing, obviously, you know, gigafactories uh, uh, 
being planned and coming online in the next you know few years we, we need we need um, um, a semiconductor um, supply chain more local to us being developed and, and being available more local to us it takes years to, to uh, build a, a semiconductor plant it takes you know two to three years for uh, uh, one of those facilities to uh, to come online and um, and especially because everything now requires electronic components require chips so if you don't have chips you don't have cars you don't have machinery you don't create value don't create wealth so and and and, and i think as from from a strategic you know uh, um, point of view i think it it makes complete sense that uh, um, you know governments and, and and obviously uh, there's there's a there's a supply chain developed uh, you know on these shores yeah, I couldn't agree more of everything you've just said. We d- we do need to reshore, put something here in the UK. But if we move on, just the final one for me, your, your use of social media, you know, it's it's very good. We see a lot of you on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn in particular. What's your strategy, you know, your content and advice for other SMEs? It's you know, We're a marketing company. It's quite straightforward for us, but many SMEs, you know, aren't, aren't as good as you. No, thanks. I appreciate the compliment, um, um, Joe. I think um, I think SMEs, well, manufacturers in general, but you know, especially SMEs. I think I think um, uh, well, companies need to fix their relationship with social media. They need to understand that um, there's no such thing as. Uh, traditional marketing and social media or online marketing strategy anymore uh, all the you know both things are combined so you need to um, um, obviously have um, you know develop the ability and in in-house I think you know, it's important to have people who understand the business and those people actually providing the data for the content creators to obviously expand on that message, expand on that experience. Uh, the thing about our social media is, is that, you know, uh, I create the content and obviously I've got over 20 years of experience and being around the block for a long time, along with, you know, some of my colleagues in the UK and abroad who obviously feed all the information to me. And something that we, we do as well, we, you know, we, we use every, every case, you know, we've just, we just got a fantastic order from Samsung in South Korea. So who, who would have, you know, who would have thought that, uh, you know, uh, a Bansley manufacturing company hmm. could sell electronics to Samsung, but that's what we've been doing, you know, for, for a number of years there now. So, um, so obviously we, we want to shout out about that. We want to, uh, you know, and encourage, other companies to go in and, and try and do the same. So I think I think um, basically developing the um, um, in-house, you know, uh, a group or talents that uh, can provide that content and utilizing that content to engage with your audience, I think, is very, very important. Yeah, fantastic insight, William. You've been a fantastic guest. Really appreciate you coming on the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Please keep up your uh, your good work on social media for UK manufacturing. We really all do appreciate it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, Joe and Stuart, for having me on. I wish you, uh, you know, the best of success with with the podcast. I've been uh, listening to it every every Thursday afternoon on my way home. So, and I would definitely recommend all the uh, you know SMEs, people working in the manufacturing industry, to follow the the podcast. And and uh, it's it's a great show. Stuart, I have to say, one of our best guests. Such an insight. If anybody is not following ABI Electronics on Twitter, urge you to do so at ABI underscore Electronics. Positive news nearly every day, sharing their export success and uh, certainly well received um, by the manufacturing community every time they post. 
And if anyone wants to be like William and join us on the podcast, please feel free to uh, reach out to us. It's podcast at mtdmfg.com. We'd love to have you on. Big, medium, small company. You know, we'd love to have you on e- either way. Also, please download the MTD MFG News app. Um, it's exclusive podcast content on there and you know, a good place to find all the latest positive manufacturing news. You can find that with your iPhone or Android in your usual app store. So let's get back onto the news. Uh, and it's a good one to start with, Stuart. Uh, the first Derby-built Cairo monorail train has been exported to Egypt. Absolutely, huge project. Um, so, Alstom's Derby facility, and this is previously owned by Bombardier, as you know, had celebrated a major milestone in the Cairo monorail project. The first Innovia 300 monorail for the project has been completed on time at the manufacturer's Litchurch Lane site and is now bound for Cairo. In August 2019, just a bit of a background on this, an Alstom-led consortium also involving Oriscam and Arab contractors signed a $2.7 billion contract to design, construct, operate and maintain the two lines. The export of the trains from Derby, the UK's largest train building factory, is the first UK rolling stock export since 2008 and the projects will support hundreds of direct jobs and also across the supply chain. Yep, similarly with ABI, we just spoke about at length, you know, export stories they're one of our favorites on the show aren't they absolutely and always really well received and uh, yeah there's been absolute spades of them in recent months and hopefully that trend will continue the next story i'd like to cover london electric vehicle company levc as you'd know them they've unveiled the world's first electric camper van i must say it looks really nice it certainly does and it's hard to describe on a podcast um not too much information at the moment but as you say the commentary based firm has revealed the first images of the new leisure vehicle the e-camper the world's first uh, camper van, as you say. And this is uh, a bit of marketing speak, optimised to offer both zero emission capability with zero range anxiety. I quite like that strap line. Um, based on the VN5, LEBC's new electric van, eCamper, the same pure EV range of over 60 miles with a total flexible range of just over 300 miles. Yeah, no, that, that's that's good to hear, isn't it? You think some of these places, these campers goes, you you know, you're in the middle of a forest or you're in beautiful Devon. It does make sense to to do it in an electric vehicle if you can, doesn't it? Next one, Heister Yale have opened up a new five million pound facility in Craigavon. Yeah, the American-owned portlift manufacturer is creating dozens of jobs in County Armagh following a five million pound expansion of its plant headquartered in Ohio. The company already employs hundreds of people at the Fort Acre site and um, announced the new jobs when it officially unveiled the new 60,000 square foot facility. Quite like this as well, the factory extension will be known as the Sands Building in honour of Harry Sands, a former senior VP and managing director of the company, who retired last year after 40 years with the company. So a great send-off, better than a, a clock. Yeah, better than a clock or a watch, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, it's a nice sentiment, isn't it, for, someone, for such a large company to do something like that? Very nice. Yeah, it's a, a nice touch. Um, the last story... Of this week, there are lots more on the website mtdmfg.com. Please do go and have a look. Uh, as I say there's lots more news available on the website. We do not get time to cover it all in the podcast, unfortunately. Uh, but we're going to finish with a, a good friend of the show, Fanari Group. What have you got to say about them, Stuart? You know, we heard about this a few weeks ago, but it's great to be able to finally tell people. Absolutely. Well, Oliver North, the CEO of Venari, did allude to this when he was on a previous podcast. But uh, now the Brickhouse-based uh, company and Ford have today announced that they have signed a memorandum of understanding for a new alliance to take cooperation between the two firms forward with regards to emergency vehicle production. The alliance brings together Ford and Venari, the UK's largest emergency vehicle manufacturer, in plans to manufacture the all-new lightweight vehicle unveiled by the firms earlier this year. The vehicle 
will be built a new facility in Fort Dagenham from next year and it is expected to create around about 100 jobs when fully operational. Makes a lot of sense, Stuart, doesn't it, to have it in Dagenham? Absolutely great. And such a strong alliance, those two companies. Venari have, have done a great job. They really are at the forefront of emergency vehicle manufacturing in the UK, and it's great to see. Yeah, so congratulations to Oliver and the rest of his team and the Ford team as well. Great news, uh, great news for both companies. I'd also like to uh, offer a big thank you to William Santos of ABI Electronics. He's a fantastic guest. Stuart, thank you to you as always. But the biggest thank you as always goes to you at home for listening. So we'll see you next week. Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter using at MTDMFG and at Jefferson underscore MFG.